It was major key slamming rock. Streaming 24-7, playing the 60s, 70s, 80s of rock and roll. Dirty Radio Classics. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Let's start the party. We'll do it live. No. We'll do it live. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Welcome to This, That, and the Other with your host, a true rock god, Troy Patrick Farrell. Now get ready because here comes the host. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Troy Patrick Farrell. I'll be back again. Bags are packed and they're ready to go. Streaming the biggest variety of classic rock from the golden age of rock and roll. Rock and roll on the radio. Dirty Radio Classics. Coming up next, it's this, that, and the other. This, that, and the other. All right, all right. Hey, what's happening? This, that, and the other radio show, hour two. We are live two to five right here, starting hour two. And our guests. I will be connecting over the internet, things in the sky. You know, think about the technology. <laughs> I'm going to hit a couple little buttons here, and it's going to ring Jimmy Coo in Dublin. Dublin, Ireland. <laughs> i got to pick up that accent. Anyway, let's give him a call and see what's up. Uh, Jimmy Coo, I-, I met him in L.A. at one of the Happening Harry Jams at the Cat Club. And uh, Jimmy went on many, many, many years ago. To uh, live in Dublin uh, has infiltrated the Phil and Not fa- Thin Lizzy family. I mean, he is an honorary Tin Lizzy. Want to get to the bottom of that? I mean, my brother Sean's a huge fan. All right, I'm a pretty reputable fan of Thin Lizzy myself. I have a tattoo of the Black Rose album. I've got a, a Thin Lizzy cod piece I'm wearing right now. All sorts of good stuff, folks. And. Uh, but Jimmy has uh, covered the tunes, has uh, befriended the family and uh, members of Thin Lizzy, and I, I want to I find out what happened after Andrew W.K. He had his own band before that called Coup de Gras, and wh- what is he doing? What does Jimmy Coop do? Let's call him up right now find out. Hello? Jimmy, Jimmy Coo, how are you? Troy Patrick, how you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing well, man. You are live right now here uh, on this, that, and the other radio show, DirtyRadio.fm, Channel 2, Dirty Radio Classics. And I am in the uh, southern Nevada region, and you are where, my friend? Beautiful Rahini, just outside Dublin, Ireland. Wow. So I want to kind of wrap my head around... Um, Hang on a second. Yeah, yeah, Hang of course, of course. I'm in a house built in 1910, originally owned by the Jameson family of, of Jameson Whiskey. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I've had uh, I've imbibed a few times with that family <laughs> through their bottles. Yes. <laughs> this is a big old house, and uh, it's a, it was a 52-room mansion in its day. And uh, recently, it's been converted into apartments, 
And uh, a buddy of mine's been living here for many years, and I've been fortunate to be here for a bunch of years, too. And I just want to give a shout-out to Betty Glenn House, which is now called the Jameson House, off the Watermill Road, John Larkin Road, here on the Coast Road, in Dublin, Ireland. So thank you very much for that. That's where I am exactly. Troy. Right on. And, I, and uh, you know, I want to find uh, the, the roadmap to how we got there, but I want to backtrack a little bit. You've got roots in uh, Minnesota, is that correct? Yeah, my grandparents, my mother was born in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I recall seeing your band Coup de Gras and, uh, you know, I don't remember where or what tour it was on, but I remember seeing the band and the energy and it felt like, I mean, while there, cause you, 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 in my opinion are very, um, like, you, you know, you, you can be very pop driven, but that band mm-hmm. was very like old school Metallica at times and, and had a little bit yep. of some, you know, really heavy stuff and then some very melodic stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about Coup de Gras because that, that's kind of uh, how you got on the map with uh, folks like myself and, and, you know, in the region of Minneapolis and, and yep. in that part of the country and find your way into Andrew WK's band. But tell me a little bit about Coup de Gras because you guys had some mild success and, you know, put out some stuff and some videos yep. and all sorts of good things well we were you know right at the i guess it would have been see i was uh 16 17 so 18 19 so that was i guess is that 86 87 88 89 90 91 and of course i saw the ride the lightning tour and um you know i was influenced by you know early metallica in a big huge way like you know, James Hetfield was 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 everything, and his partnership and his friendship with with Cliff Burton was everything. And um, when Cliff died, it really it really affected me. And then we hung on for a little while longer. We hung on through the Black Album, and then uh, I'm not sure what happened after that. Oh yeah, I remember what happened after that. Oh well, of course. But the coup de grace was we we were we rehearsed a lot. We and we really enjoyed each other's company, and we smoked a lot of pot, and we rehearsed a lot, and we just loved hanging out with each other and writing riffs and making music. But the the short story, there's two short stories that was the end of the coup de grace, so to speak. One was, um, you know, and, and to be straight, you know, when Nirvana came out, and I mean, things just changed. You know what I mean? There sure. was a there was a palpable there was a palpable change in the air. But that wasn't really the death now for us. One of the things that really fucked us up the most was a band called Jellyfish. Ah. Now, when we heard Jellyfish, I say Jellyfish ruined my heavy metal career. Because when I heard Jellyfish, I was just like, holy shit. Like, how the fuck do you do that? Like, I was, I was, I was off of Metallica. Like, that, forget that. How do you do this? Yeah. And it was so baffling to us how you did that. And we tried to, we really tried to incorporate it and just tried to, you know, push the boundaries for ourselves because we're, we were really pop guys. We, I mean, we love melody and, um, but it was just, you know, it's, it was impossible and, um, you know, or really, really difficult and for it to still make, make sense in context. So we did move on, though. We, we added a, a third guitar player, 
and uh, we went for like uh, an over-the-top Skinnerd, you know, hard-rocking Skinnerd buzz. But at a certain point, we were just kind of flogging a dead horse, and um, and then I went to. Uh, but the coup de grace, we were the best of friends. We had the best times. But my partner, Stephen Rash, died in a bizarre painting accident. Believe it or not, and it's it's you know it's not. Did you get me there, Stephen Rash? So it was me and Stephen Rash and Brett Dagendorfer. It was our band, and, uh, and then um, I. Uh, we were we went and Chaw a fellow named Mark Chaucey was with us for a while. He was you know our best friend, and we were all just great friends. And then uh, um, uh, then at a certain point, we would just it was just we were just beating a dead horse, like I said. Yeah. yeah. And um, so what happened was was that I went to Chicago on a weekend. I went to Chicago kind of for laughs, and I was I was inter- thinking about maybe jamming with some dudes out there, just maybe trying to try something new. And I went to Chicago on a weekend. And before I knew it, I was offered a job at House of Blues. I was offered an apartment with the bosses in a penthouse apartment. And it's like I had a new life that was like just staring me in the face in Chicago within one weekend. Wow. And a, and a, and a possibility of a new band. And I was driving back to Minnesota and I called my mom. And I'm like, look, mom, I got these offers. and um, But I, you know, I got the job in Minnesota and the band. And my mom's like, Jimmy, you know, you don't know anybody anything. Like, you know, you just... You do, you know, you do what you need to do or what you want to do. I just turned around. I went back to Chicago. I said, fuck it. I'm staying. Yeah. I stayed in Chicago for about a year. I, uh, I was a runner for King Diamond. I drove King Diamond to and from his concert I, uh, with for House of Blues. I, uh, I was in an elevator with Ted Nugent's bison. I, I took Ted Nugent's bison up. I uh, drove the elevator for Duran Duran. I had a great fucking time with the House of Blues. That's a short story. And then while I was there, I got a call from a buddy not mine named Matt Sweeney, who's a legend in certain circles. And Sweeney was in a band called Skunk. We were on Twin Tone Records together. The Coup de Gras was the only metal band that was signed to Twin Tone Records, by the way. And uh, which is the Replacements and Soul Asylum. And these are the famous bands out of Minneapolis. And yeah, Kushker sure. Do. And um, Matt Sweeney gave me a call. I said, look, I can't. I found this kid. I found this kid's demos and they're fucking crazy. I'm going to get this kid a record deal, but he needs a band. and But more so, he needs a partner in this thing. He needs somebody that can blah, blah, blah. He knew, Sweeney knew that I was the right guy. I was 10 years older than Andrew WK. And uh, it worked for us, you know, at the time. It was a perfect fit. I understood his music completely. It was major key, slamming rock. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I mean, it was major key slam. I was just like, holy shit. When I heard the kids' demos, I was blown the fuck away. And I, I immediately wrote him a letter. And I was just like, look, dude, you and I are going to be friends. You know, I signed the thing, your friend, Jimmy Koo. He'd never even met me, you know? <laughs> wow. And uh, so he read the letter, but he was very impressionable because he was a young guy. He was a very awkward young dude, but he was fucking brilliant. And uh, I just entered his life. And then we proceeded to make his record. You know how that got done is a whole other story, but I don't know how much you want to get into that. It's it sounds like there might be something interesting there. You guys had to uh, you know find some ways to, to get the album done, some creative ways. Is that where you going? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, well, again, he was a young guy. And he yeah. wasn't exactly a vocalist, but he was a producer and a writer. And he was, I mean, he's he's just an artist. His mother raised him to be an artist, and he was an artist. But I was a singer. 
So they were they were starting to make the record. We were they had different musicians, and it was hard to get a lead vocal to start with. Yeah, yeah. So you know to to begin. So it's it's a standard thing in the industry. It's called ghosting. It's like you know somebody who really can sing gets in there and sings it. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure, you know, sure. About how it's, and then the then the lead person sings on top of it, and then you mix the two together, and before you know it, you've got a lead vocal. Well, that's that that's what happened with us. And I was really happy to be part of that process because, again, the kid was genius. It's like I didn't write the songs, you know. I was just I was blown away by his songs. But I'll tell you what, I fucking sang the shit out of them. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, 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 so he was fortunate to find me. I would like to think he thinks that. I don't know. I haven't talked to him since the day he asked me to leave. But I definitely was fortunate to find him because it it what it did for me was. It scratched this itch that I needed to scratch. And that itch was to tour the fucking world on a major stage in planes, trains, and buses, you know, and automobiles. And uh, I, I, that was, I knew it was in my destiny. It was in my soul one way or another. And uh, the coup de grace what didn't, didn't make that happen. But God bless Andrew WK, he did. And so that was a great couple of years. Then the money ran out and it was time to make the second record. And apparently he didn't need me. So I wasn't on the second record. And then, but shortly thereafter, I was asked to leave. And I, 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 and that my analogy to that is you don't want your older brother around at a certain point anymore. You know, I love your older brother. <laughs> your, old, no, your older brother knows all your moves. As yeah. a matter of fact, you know he probably taught you all your moves. You know what I mean? So it's like at a certain point, it's like you know you want your older brother to, you know, because you want to you want to be your own man and you know and yeah, and no, fair play. I, that's. I just have I still have all my older brother's clothes in my closet. I brought I, I hijacked them when I moved to LA. I just stuffed them all in my car and took off. So, you know, while while I get that, you know, sort of leaving the nest vibe and like, hey, I don't want this this dude here anymore. I kinda wanna be my own whatever. Um you know, I, I wonder. I wonder what he was looking for to get that because if if you provided this this guidance and this you know this way to harness well, he, this talent he had, why, why would he you know dissolve that? Well, he had a very specific premise about not about challenging himself and about his ability to adapt and survive. And you know, again, I say the guy is a genius. He was you know at that time he was absolutely on fire. And he didn't ever, he didn't want to feel like he needed anybody or anything. He didn't want to feel that way. And um, um, as much as I thought as we just should have kept going as it was, um, uh, he felt otherwise. There was also, there was a little bit of issues between me and one of the other band members. See, I'm a natural leader, you know. I mean, it's just like, you know, to a degree, you know. So it was like, there may have been, there may have been one too many, I don't know. I was a dick also. I'll, I'll admit that. I mean, I, you know, I've been known to be, a, you know, I mean, uh, of course I'm a very nice guy, but I just didn't tolerate too much bullshit from some of the other dudes, but me and, uh, the, the drummer, Donald Tardy, who was an obituary, he, he and I were in, in sync and it's like, as far as I'm concerned, he needed me, Donald Tardy. He didn't ever want to feel it was the same thing. Like how he, he credited a bunch of different pro, uh, engineers and producers on the back of the record. And these people didn't exist. It was like, it was like to blur the lines because we, there was this guy named John Fields who was my buddy who helped us make the record, finish the record. And John did a whole lot of work and like deserved a, you know, a lot, a lot of credit for it. But in the end it was like John Fields and four other people with like fictitious names. So it was like blurring the concept of, who does what and why 
yeah. because 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 the concept of Andrew WK is bigger than just one person because the whole thing is this whole heady, you know, full of mystery. Nobody knows what's really happening. I don't know if people have ever delved into this ridiculousness of Andrew WK world, um, which a huge portion of it, I'm convinced that he he created all by himself. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Andrew was like, you know, uh, three or four hundred different aliases on the internet right now, creating stir. Stirring Andrew, stirring the Andrew WK pot all by himself. I mean, I swear to God, wow. the guy is his own troll, and he did that long before people even knew what trolls were. Andrew was like, he, I'm telling you, the, the kid manipulated the whole fucking thing. It was brilliant. I mean, he was signed to Island fucking Def Jam, and he barely ever played a song. He, he couldn't even sit. You know, he was having a hard time singing. It's like when we did Saturday Night Live. I think the label was like, ooh. I guess the kid's not really a singer yet, is he? You know, the fucking record sounds great, but what are we going to do now? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but hey, listen, I'm not dissing. That was the best time of my life. Thank God for Andrew. I love him. I love it. I, you know, we should we should do a reunion, you know, whatever the heck. But I haven't spoken to him in years. But he and I were very, very tight, and really good friends. And, uh, and we had a really good understanding for a long time. But he reinvents and he is literally a brilliant individual. So, I, you know, these people just operate on different levels. I'm pretty, I'm not brilliant, you know. I'm just pretty straightforward. So, I can only sit back in awe. But there's a certain point where um, brilliant individuals need, you know, really competent people. I would like to think that um, it was maybe a little bit like David Bowie and Mick Ronson. I don't know if you, you know, you know how practical Mick Ronson was. Like sure, he sure. was from he was from Hull and he was like this you know you know just like man a man's man from Hull who was a fucking great guitar player and a cool ass dude and then he had David Bowie who was away with the fucking fairies you know yeah, what yeah. I mean yeah, literally yeah. and figuratively as that's what they say in Ireland when someone's nuts and uh, you know their relationship lasted as long as it could last you know and the David was on to the next you know what I mean that's that's a little how I look at it and um not that I'm any fucking Mick Ronson. Hang on a second. Wait a minute. What am I saying? <laughs> I'm no Mick Ronson. I'll fucking tell you that. But that's what I think a little bit if I want to make myself, you know, if I want to think about it. Be like, yeah, you know, things work out for a while. And so we had a super great time. And they're still making music of some sort. And uh, I got to tour the world with Andrew. And it really scratched an itch for me. And so I, when I was able to get off of that tour and all those records and make that record and then we, we we did a record we did a song with rick rubin and uh when i was able to be done with that i was like i could sleep at night i was like shit fuck thank god now i can sleep at night like I'd no longer every time a tour bus drives by i'm no longer salivating you know as a matter yeah. of fact <laughs> I, I was done with it because we were out for almost two years straight and i was like wow that's great i don't i don't think i ever have to do that again and then I was living in L.A. for a bunch of years, for several years. Well, actually, after we got done with the Andrew W.K. tours, which was lasted two years long, we, we ended in December, and everybody was Christmas time. People were going to go to Florida, which was where these all these dudes lived, or yeah, other dudes yeah. were going to go. I think Andrew was going to Hawaii. Everybody was going to somewhere cool, or somewhere warm and somewhere gorgeous. And I was like, shit, I've got some money in my pocket. I can do any fucking thing I want. 
I've got a passport. I've already been to Ireland twice now, and I've seen Phil in its grave. I want to go back there and go to this famous concert, famous for me anyway, this famous concert called The Vibe for Philo that happens in Dublin every January 4th. I'm like, that sounds like a good idea to me to go back to Dublin in the middle of winter and see and meet and see all these Thin Lizzy cuckoos because yeah. I was because <laughs> I was Thin Lizzy cuckoo. And so I came back here, I think it was 2002 was the first time I came back, 2002 or 2003. And I went to my first vibe for Philo. My life was changed. And I was like, oh my God, there's people out there that love Thin Lizzy like as much as I do. And they play a concert every year and they're really fucking good. And Dublin, Ireland is an insanely cool place. I'm like, holy shit, I think I want to stay. And so I came, I just kept coming back and I kept coming back for vibes. And then I, I, I met, of course, I met Phil's mom, which was a really big, huge deal that changed my life. And then I painted her house and then I stayed at her house for, you know, for several weeks and we became friends. And then the short story is I just ended up staying. That's the short story, really short story. And, and the rest is history. Well, you know, I want to touch on a few things that you said. You know, you, let's go back a little bit to uh, Andrew W.K. in that departure, and you and you had mentioned you were asked to leave, and there was something that you said that kind of resonated with me. And uh, there's two things. One was the leader thing, and I'm a dick. And so I've been in those shoes where you've got, <laughs> you, you know, it's like your dad because you've got the band guys, you know, and maybe I'm out on the road and I'm tour managing. So I'm the one that tells everybody we got to go or we got to whatever. We got to, you know. And so it's just like, what's up with this dude? He's a control freak. It's like, no, we're just trying to keep the wheels on the bus, guys, because this is what we're doing. You know, there's got to be one guy to sort of harness all of that talent, creativity, yeah. and all the partying or whatever's going on. And so I, right. you know, if I, if I'm understanding your role in that band, it resonates with me because it's like you're the one guy that's not maybe parting so much because you're doing the books or because you're, you know, connecting with the producer or you're doing the ghost vocals and helping with the melody, whatever it is you're doing. So I sort of get that where everybody else is just being creative and smoking weed, and you're the the dad that's like, hey, we, you know, what's up with this guy? Why is he so controlling? It's like. Well, somebody has to do it, right? I mean, it's like, I don't want to be the I want to party with you guys, you know? Do, do you think that that role of uh, sort of trying to harness the, the creativity and the chaos led to the demise? Well, I definitely partied. I partied, I partied very hard. I mean, yeah. I had a really good time. But, but really, for me, it was like, I kind of was hoping that I was going to be like, almost like the worst musician in the band. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like... You know, because I'm a, I'm a I'm a really, I'm a strong singer, and I'm a I'm I'm a really decent you know rhythm guitar player, and um, our bass player was great. Other we just uh, you know I don't know I just I I don't know I was thinking that maybe we were just gonna like be a little a little more like the record and a little less like just like a heavy metal band is yeah. kind of where I had hoped that that we had gone to, but in hindsight, of course, you know it was all. It was all good, but I mean, my original vision with was that I was going to be like the worst musician in the band. Like we were going to get some guys that were like really fucking good, and I was just going to be able to like sing hard and fucking play rhythm guitar. Jeez, I hope I don't get in too much trouble. I hope nobody's listening to this at this point. But no, it's just my I don't mom. know. Just but, my and, brother, but also, my mom. But, but yeah, but <laughs> I was real pro the band. Like I just wanted us to be fucking awesome. Like I just wanted us to be really fucking awesome. And I was really, really into it. I was good at touring. 
I was great on stage every fucking night. There was a little bit of it but that, you know, where things were being, you know, I don't think that we were making some right decisions in certain things. I'm like, no, we shouldn't be doing that or whatever. And I would make my opinions known. And, you know, there's, a, you know, the emperor has no clothes. You know, every once in a while I would say that like, hey, you know, this is obviously a problem. And sometimes I would even say it to whomever, you know, the powers that be. And then, so you're the first guy to go when you're, when you're the guy that's saying, hey, you know, this isn't, this is a bad idea. You know what I mean? Whatever's going on, we should be, I think we should be doing this. Because I was really looking at it as like, you know, our band. But I know it was always Andrew's band. And I was so invested in it that I really just wanted us, you know, bass player Greg was great and, uh, we had a good time. I don't know. It's it's now. It's twenty years ago. So yeah, yeah. Well, to look know, back, think about that. To look tune, back in, 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 in hindsight, I think that you know it's possible that I was just a little over the top. There's a song by a fellow named Blue that's called uh, Somebody Else, and he wrote it. I think it's for the first or second uh, Spider-Man movie. It's called Somebody Else by Blue B L U E. Whenever I hear that song, I'm just like, ugh. Yes, I get it because it's like it's like. I wish I could be somebody else. And sometimes when I look back on some of the things, you know, it's just like, well, you know, you get older and you just realize, well, maybe I was a little too intense. You know, what yeah, if sure, I was too sure. much? Sure. What if I take it down a notch? You know what I mean? But listen, but the thing was full on. If you've seen any video or ever saw us play, I was 120% every fucking time. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. I was blood. I was blood and guts up there. I was blood and guts the whole time. And, uh, and uh, the, all the other dudes were actually, they were all buddies, actually. Everybody, including the crew, they were all buddies from Florida except for me. So I was kind of the odd man out. So when I was asked to leave, they just brought in another one of their buddies from Florida, you know. Gotcha. Do you, and, uh, uh, you know, do you ever hear that song, that Party Hard tune? I mean, it's in, it's in, you know, used on the NFL and all that stuff. And it's still, it's kind of stood the test of time. Uh, does, yeah, it's if great. You, if you hear that, does that bring back some memories for you? Like, hey, yeah. Oh, because, yeah. And no, that was a huge the, song. Nothing but great. I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I love the exercise to the record. I mean, I love it. I love it. <laughs> we had the best time. And, you know, and it was me and Andrew and, um, and a couple of different producers and then John Fields um, who made that record. And then it was mixed by Mike Shipley, who's the guy that mixed this is Def Leppard and ACDC and he took his own life rest in peace Mike Shipley he was one of the greatest and John Fields brought us to Mike Shipley and that record was they spent they spared no expense to make that record because the whole thing was unproven no one knew what we were capable of nobody knew but they loved the demos and they loved the songs so much that they were willing to just keep going forward with whatever Andrew wanted to do and I was the one that I brought in the philosophy of like, listen, whatever Andrew wants, let's make it fucking happen. Like Andrew dictated down to the color of my shoelaces, what he wanted me to wear on stage. Now I'll talk about that for a minute. Yeah, uh, what sure, I wore sure. on stage was what I wore on stage was, was uh, short shorts. Well, they were rugby shorts and it was a Hawaiian shirt. And, um, that's what I wore. And, that came because one day Andrew and I were in New York City and we were driving in my van and um, um, the, some guy was going to take a left and there was, a, there was the left arrow and he didn't, he didn't go or something. And I don't know what the fuck happened, but I somehow, somehow something got, and I, I got out of the van. I mean, I'm not a fucking tough guy, but in New Jersey, the Jersey comes out of me like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Can't you see the fucking light? Like, what? And there's me in these shorts 
in this Hawaiian shirt, like talking like I know what I'm talking about or something. And I think Andrew saw that one day and was like, oh my God, that's that's hilarious. That's your getup for the show. And I was a heavy metal guy. I was a hard rock guy. I was like, what? What? You want me to wear fucking shorts and a Hawaiian shirt on stage? He was like, yeah, I want, because Andrew had a concept of everything being upside down. And yeah, yeah. He made all, he made these choices I never would have made. And I, he's brilliant for it. So, but 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 my premise was this: If you're the motherfucker that made these demos, and you want me to wear wear Hawaiian shirt and shorts and fucking running shoes with black socks and fucking black shoelaces, if that's what you want, motherfucker, and they're spending a million dollars on you, you got it. You got it, Andrew. Any <laughs> fucking thing you want. Say jump. How high? Let's go. What do you want? Anything you want, we'll do. Because the whole thing was unproven. So up until then, anything that he touched, he had the Midas touch, so to speak. And I, and I, be honest, I can say this with all fucking clarity and sincerity that I really told all the guys that listen. I said, fellas, in my opinion, whatever this fucking kid wants, we do. That's it. Everybody was like, oh, okay, because I was, I was, you know, I was kind of a a de facto, you know, sergeant at that time, like sure, you know, sure. between me and. Between me and Donald, it was like we were getting shit done. Because Donald Tardy from Obituary, I mean, he's a leader. And he's the, the one of the best drummers, probably the best drummer I've ever played with. Wow. And uh, he, well, Donald knows how to run a band. Like, Obituary's still going. They're still selling out stadiums and opening for Slayer and shit. So, not stadiums, but, you know, huge theaters and sure, shit. Sure, sure. So, Donald and I, and he and I are, to this day, great friends, which is, which is my... My favorite thing about all of it is how much Donald and I are just the best of mates. And um, so we did whatever Andrew wanted, you know. And then um, when the record didn't exactly sell what it was supposed to sell, and then, then it came time to make the second record, and I was like, hey, Andrew, you know, like, let me know when you need me. And he was like, well, I, I don't really need you, Jimmy, but, uh, you know, if you want to come and hang out. We had been through that before. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? Like, I, I thought we had a routine going. Like, what? I'm, I'm a little confused. And of course, I was butthurt. So it didn't last too much longer after that. He was gotcha, done. You know, gotcha. he, he was done with his older brother being around. So that was that. Have that you, was that. Have you heard any of the, the new material? He put out an album, I think, in the last year, or at least a single. Have you have you heard, kept up with it? From Andrew? Yeah. Um, no, but well, no, I've heard some things. I know that he's sort of found his voice, though. Huh. I know that he's found... He's found a way to like croon and sing his way through his melodies. Like he's found a way. He's very Andrew tuned the guitars. He was a piano player, so when he looked at a guitar, he's like, "Fuck! How the fuck am I going to play this piece of shit?" Now the kid's brilliant, so he tuned the guitar so that the guitar didn't play him. He didn't have to learn how to make a G and an F. He didn't do that. He's like, "Fuck that." I'm going to tune the guitar so that I, I'm the boss. I'm playing it. He didn't learn how to play guitar. He taught the guitar to play to him, if that makes wow. any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, no, no. I get That's what you're saying. That's how he tuned it. Yeah. He tuned it to an open E. And um, uh, I'm not, you know, the kid was a genius. It was a great time. We both grew up, you know what I mean? It's like he had barely, you know, he'd had, he was, we were growing up. And it was great. It was a great time. I just really feel fortunate to have been in the band. People should listen to the records called I Get Wet. Now, he's standing on the, on the back of the record. He's standing there. He's soaking wet. He's standing on a dock. Yeah. I was there. Now, 
this is the this is the kind of shit that I did. So where he's standing on the dock and he's taking pictures and he's not wet, he's dry. And I'm like, and, and there's this guy taking the photos and I'm there because I accompanied Andrew anywhere. We like we were we were inseparable there for a long time. And I'm like, dude, the record's called I Get Wet. Like you you've got to you got to jump in the water or something. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And he's like. And he did. And he fucking jumped in the water. And the other one was, just to get this out, he's like, we went through a he went through a, a crisis of confidence there in the beginning. He's like, oh, I don't want to be Andrew W.K. He wanted to be, he wanted to call himself Steve Mike. So at the very last minute, he goes in and he convinces the entire record label that he's going to change his name at the last minute to <laughs> Steve Mike. Now, now he convinced, now they'd spent a million dollars on this record. and he, But he was so convincing and it was so, he convinced them that he was going to call himself Steve Mike. And then it's like, it's now it's the 11th hour. I remember we were sitting on a swing set. He was swinging. He's like, Jimmy, like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, I don't know if I want to be Andrew WK or that's my real name. It's just how boring is that? He's like, what does it mean? I'm like, tell him it stands for who knows. Ah. I could see the, I could see the light bulb go off in his head. He's like, ah. Oh. Yes, <laughs> and that, I'm telling you, that was it. That's the truth. And from then on, he's that. But then he went back the next day and said, "Oh, remember when I convinced everybody that I was going to call myself Steve Mike?" He goes, "Yeah, sorry, I, I changed my mind again. We're just going to go with Andrew WK." Everybody's like, "Is this kid fucking crazy? We're this is a million dollar record here. What in the fuck is going on? Who's yeah. this kid's manager? You know what I mean? Can somebody rein this kid in?" And uh, uh, but the, the record was so good. Unfortunately, I think everything just sort of sounded like a beer commercial. So the, the, the radio wasn't sure like how to, how to work this thing. Well, I was going to sounded like, but I was going to kind of ask commercial. you like, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of genre of music was it? Because it was very different. I know it was very heavy and very, you know, kind of WWF or WWE for the new kids, but you know, it just had a very, you know, and, and, Every song sort of had a similar vibe to it, like it was just a, a party, and we're on eleven. What was the yeah. what was the well, classification? It was party of that hard, band? party yeah. till you puke. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, time yeah. to party. A lot of party, fun night. <laughs> yeah, fun night. Um, no, I call it slamming major key rock. It was slamming, and it, the whole thing was major key. I mean, that there was some parts that would go. It was just a little bit of minor, but the essence of the whole thing was major key, which is my favorite shit. I mean, see, that's where Thin Lizzy comes in for me because Thin Lizzy was able to make major key hard rock uh -huh. sound really cool. And when I heard, you know, when Boys Are Back in Town, but really when I heard a song called like Fighting, I was just like, holy shit, this is not, these are not minor chords. These are major chords. This is major music. But it's tough as nails, so um, so I call Andrew's music style. I call it it was slamming major key, you know, rock. You know that that's what that's what it was to me, and um, I was just I was so happy to be in that band at that at that time. I loved the melodies and I loved the shit that he wrote, and uh, it was a super super great time, and. Um, I'm glad that I was able to do it because, you know, I was able to go around the world and get, like I say, get that itch scratched. And that's what enabled me to be able to move forward with the rest of my life with, with, with a peace inside of me. You know what I mean? Like going, oh, 
I don't feel the need to be on a tour bus anymore. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about what you're doing. So, you know, you're living in uh, Ireland and you're very involved in, uh, you know, Thin Lizzy stuff in, in town. Uh, are you still part of Are they still doing this thing every January 4th, the Vibe for Philo? <laughs> Yeah, well, listen. There's, there's, it's, it, it, Phil in it. Then Lizzie is just part of the culture here. So yeah. it's like you'll go into a restaurant and there's, you know, there's an obscure Lizzie tune playing, like anywhere. You'll, you, you'll go into to the uh, to the post office, and you know, Old Town will be playing on the, you know, just through the radio. I was in the doctor's office the other day, and there was a there was a Thin Lizzy song being piped through. Uh, the doctor's office. So, so I feel like I'm at home because I'm so captivated by Phil in it and his character and his music that, um, I just feel like I'm in, I'm in Disneyland for a thin Lizzy fan. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm in La La Land for a thin Lizzy fan. And, um, um, and, but again, it was the music that was able to be so melodic and so tough and so cool at the same time without having to like, you know, play scary chords. You know what I mean? Like sure, they sure. didn't have to, there's no devil's triad crap going on <laughs> and there's no, and there's no, you know, like, you know, blues riffs, you know, essentially not really like, even if there are blues riffs, they're still based around, there's still melody that gets eked out of this thing. That was the thing that really broke my heart with Metallica when Cliff Burton passed and they they eventually ran out of riffs that that were from cliff's era you know because they they had riffs that held on then they started writing these other and it all became this blues based gray to me nondescript you know just sort of average stuff where ride the lightning had all this melody in it and uh you know master of puppets had all this melody in it and you know that's that was all cliff pushing the boundaries and even adding Celtic influences, and um, and of course the Celtic influence in Lizzie is also it was a really big deal. The first time I heard a song called Emerald, yeah, sure, I was like, I was like, holy shit, that's the heaviest fucking thing I've ever fucking heard. South of Heaven, fuck <laughs> me, give a fuck, Emerald, holy shit. That's what I call heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 the guitars weren't even all that driven. That was a whole other thing about Thin Lizzy was like, how are they that tough and they don't even have fucking distortion pedals? I was like, how do you do that? It took me 20 years to understand how those guitars sound like that. Because I loved Hetfield, but he, he ruined me as a guitar player for years. I was just, you know, I was like... I love James, but I just, it was like, I just, I learned, there's a lot that I didn't learn from James. In, and uh, I don't exactly blame, yeah. I don't exactly blame him. But. You know, uh, when, when you're doing the Vibe for Philo and the the shows there uh, that you've performed at, uh, have you played with any of the fellow Thin Lizzy alumni? Yeah, well, I've played with Brian Downey here at the house a couple times. I've been very fortunate to have a couple jams with Brian Downey. Wow. And we were playing Lizzy songs. And, um, um, I've never, that's the only guy that I've ever played with that's been in the band. And to be honest with you, that's the only one I want to play with. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. um, well, 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 no, well, we'd like to play with Robo, 
you know, but he's a mess. Um, we were, we did open and, and hang out with Robo. We, we, we were in Sweden with him doing a festival, not a festival, a gig thing. And, um, but he got so drunk that he could barely play. So my other buddy had to bail him out. We know Eric Bell. Eric Bell's the sweetest and the kindest. And, uh, of course, you know, Scott Gorham st- still keeps the thing alive. Yeah, yeah. The, the vibe for Philo still happens every January 4, unless there's a pandemic happening. The sure. vibe for Philo still happens. That was first run and organized by a fellow named Smiley Bolger. Everybody, everybody that I know on this island started because of the vibe for Philo. And I owe, I owe almost everything to Smiley Bolger. I got to say that on record there for sure. And uh, so the vibe from Philo happens every year. But then what happened for me was I, as soon as I got here, um, I was sitting at a place and I was eating and I had long hair, obviously. And one of the managers comes up and he said, it's up in a place called Hoth at the Bloody Stream. And then one of the managers comes up, who's my buddy right now, who he and I share this house together. He comes up, he says, hey, man, he goes, you look like you play some music. And I said, yeah, well, yeah, I, I do, actually. He says, listen, a guy canceled, and I need somebody to play tomorrow on Sunday afternoon. Are you available tomorrow Sunday afternoon? And I'm like, well, yeah. He said, but all I know how to play really is, is like Thin Lizzy songs. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, that's that's no problem. He goes, that's no problem. Philip used to live in Hoth. And I'm like, fucking hell. I go, I, I would love to. And I was scared out of my scared out of my ass. Anyway, I got up there. And I did my first acoustic solo acoustic gig in Ireland at this, this town called Hove, playing all Thin Lizzy songs, and I mean all Thin Lizzy songs. And uh, and then it started from there. I started playing every Sunday at this place up in Hove, and then I started learning how to play these other songs that I love. I love Brown Eyed Girl. I love Country Roads. Yeah. I love the Monkees. I love Sweet Caroline. I love, you know, Tom Petty songs. And I'm so happy to have been able to learn how to do all these other songs now. And now I'm an entertainer and I get to play every day, sometimes two or three times a day. And I get to go home to the same bed every night. I fucking love it. Wow. So you've crafted now, this 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 life for you there yeah. where you live there and it's afforded you the ability to stay living there and also to stay creative as a musician, uh, you know, just doing these acoustic solo gigs. That's quite impressive. Yeah. That's cool. Man. Well yeah. Well again, it's not always solo. There's a duo and we play with a band certain certain nights in the in the porterhouse. We play with a band. And uh, you know, everything from Elvis to, you know, Roy Orbison to the Traveling Wilburys to Motor, you know, to Ace of Spades, to Highway to Hell, to uh, you know, whatever's you know, and uh, then there's rock clubs here that I would be able to play, and like when you like whenever Coc comes to town, you know, any of the guys that I know or sure. Donald from Obituary, you know, I'm in Dublin. It's like, dude, fucking, what's up, DT? And uh, you know, the, there's not many of us in Dublin. It's a small town. Yeah. But what I did do all those years ago. When I was started out at that place in Hoth was when Philip's birthday came around, I started doing a, a, a birthday party for him out in this town that he lived in. And that was a, it was about a mile away from his mother's house also. I started doing a birthday party on the nearest Sunday. And the thing's grown into like huge, ridiculous proportions. So this is like, you know, minus the pandemic, this will be our 10th or 11th year. And um, it's free in. People are we just we don't charge anybody to come in. All the bands get paid a little bit of money, 
And everybody comes and it's all day long. I say we start at 3 p.m. and we go until the cops show up. <laughs> Just and, like we did when we were kids. Yeah, and that's exactly what I want you and your brother to come out and do. And yes. It's in, it's in August. Philip was born on August 20th. So we'd always do the nearest Sunday to his birthday. And, um, you know, I've just, you know, I've just carved out this like, you know, you know, ridiculous, completely immature, you know, thin Lizzy dream thing, you know, musicians dream thing. You know, I have no kids. I have no wife. I've, I've foregone all those types of normalcies to be able to follow this passion that I want. And, um, there was a while where I wasn't sure if I was on the on the right path, but at 52 years old, I'm I'm now sure that everything's just fine, and uh, so I'm real happy about it. And uh, you know, we've got a big one coming up for his birthday here this August. There's another fella that does a couple of gigs, a few gigs in town during his birthday too. So like Dublin and ho- the, the whole Dublin turns into a, a fill in at weekend basically wow. during during his birthday weekend. And, um, and people come from all over. They come from America and Sweden and Germany and we get people from Japan and we, I mean, it's like people are crazy about Thin Lizzy as much as I am. For sure. Yeah. And, um, it's just, it's, you know, I still pinch myself. I'm like, fuck, this is weird. This thing is weird. How did it play out like this? This is weird. <laughs> Well, you know, it's cool. It's like sometimes we think we're in charge of our path or sometimes we just let the path take us where we're supposed to be. And it sounds like you've you've found your home there. Uh, In addition to playing locally in town with bands or solo or the duo, uh, you know, you still write and record music. I mean, I have stuff over the years that you've done. And uh, did I hear that you're working with another Jimmy on some material as well? Are you working on brand new stuff? Yeah, well... Yeah, Jimmy Danda and I—we actually wrote a bunch of songs like of uh, many several years ago when I was when I was still living in L.A. Like between the time that I was had left Andrew and before I like moved to Ireland, Jimmy and I were working on tunes, and uh, but it was still hard. It was you know it was still hard to get arrested, so to speak, even as a rock band. It was yeah. still it was still kind of difficult. You know, it's like you know. Poor Harry was putting on gigs out there at the Happening strip Harry. or whatever. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, and nobody, and nobody, like it was still hard to just get anybody to give a shit. And I, um, um, I wasn't going to wait around for anybody to give a shit. But Jimmy and I wrote great tunes based around, uh, you know, first and foremost for me, it's like Montrose, Humble Pie, and UFO. Yeah, you know. And Jimmy and I, we just, he and I, we had great chemistry, and he's got great riffs. And as soon as he starts pulling out some of these classic, he's a great guitar player and a fantastic bass player. Yeah, yeah. As soon as he starts. Jimmy Deanna, original drummer from Bullet Boys. uh, Yes. Also plays guitar, and and that's cool that you guys are actually writing material together. Yeah, he's in George Lynch's band, and Uh he's in all kinds of things. And we wrote a bunch of, we wrote several really great tunes, but, um, I'm not all that. After I had gone through the Andrew thing, and after I had, you know, after the, all the coup de grace stuff, I wasn't really chasing get, getting being in a band or getting any record deals. I just really wasn't. I really wasn't chasing it anymore. And um, um, so we just sort of, you know, just sort of left it on the long finger, as they say here. And uh, the long finger now has been. I think a decade or more. Okay. I mean, Jesus, okay. I think so. And uh, but the songs are still completely relevant and awesome. So 
Jimmy and I have promised each other to reconvene before we die. All right. And 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 just give these songs a place. Give these songs a home. Make the record that shows the creativity that we had because they're really fucking good and they're the best. They're the, the best songs probably I've ever written because it was real, a collaborative um, creativity and like we would finish a song a day. You know, it's you know Van Halen ish. You know, it's like here's the riff. Let's write the words right now. Yeah, Let's yeah. make it real. And we had we had such a good time doing it. And um, I'm glad that Jimmy is still interested and still, you know, wants to part, still wants to move it forward, despite the fact that I, you know, left the country for 13 years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> do, do you guys have uh, sort of an ETA on when maybe a song or something might leak out from that? Well, did Jimmy send you a tune? Because he, ha- he, he sent hasn't, me a th- but I'm going to text him right now. <laughs> yeah, well, because I texted him back. He sent me a text, but I didn't see it for hours. He's like, Troy wants a, you know, a tune. He's like, is it cool with you? I'm like, cool with me? I'm like, Jimmy, you're the fucking boss. It's like, you, it's up to you, man. I just, because I really do defer to Jimmy. I just, you know, I mean, how could you not anyway? I mean, he's just, you know, he's... A boss and the boss. Yeah. You know? Well, we'll we'll see so if I we just can say, get listen, a, Jimmy. We'll see if we can get a sample of that before uh, at least the show's up. We got another hour here, so we'll see if we can uh, get him to do that before. Well, uh, shit, the I would show's play over. Tally. So, man, Troy, what a pleasure to talk to you. You oh, too, I mean, brother. Thanks for calling. And but I got I've kept my mouth shut for ten years because I just got my Irish citizenship finalized. Holy and, wow, that's awesome! So dual citizenship, and uh, so you are, yeah. You, Man, that's awesome. So I know like a... Like yeah, but a, see, an Irish but I needed to now. keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I needed to keep my mouth shut because, you know, the internet gets people in trouble all the time. And sure. They get themselves in trouble on the internet. And I was like, you know what? I better just keep my effing mouth shut until I get this thing sorted because there's nothing more important to me than being able to make sure that I can stay on yeah. this island. Nothing more important than that. So I didn't want to be like, hey, I'm doing this or I'm over here or, or I didn't want to talk about how good things were going. That's the only little an Irish thing. It's like you don't want to say how fucking good things were going. Like, Jesus Christmas, keep that quiet. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You, yeah, your, Man, your your internet footprint is is very, very minimal. And uh Yeah, I, and, and, I yeah, mean I even I even I even took things down over the years. It was just like I asked things to be taken down. I asked, I would call people and say, can you just take that down? I don't want to be, you know, and, um, but now that the citizenship is sorted, uh, taken care of, I feel a little bit of, uh, there's a lightness. And so I'm happy to, to, uh, to discuss the fantastic things that have happened and that I've been, been able to be a part of and to be able to talk about it without fearing that some uh, person whose job it is to, you know, create problems finds any fucking problem with me, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. All I wanted was to be able to stay in Ireland. Like, there's nothing more important. Nothing. So I just kept my mouth shut until that is sorted. And yay me. Right on. Hey, before I let you go, uh, Jimmy Koo, uh, you, did you pen or you know re-record the soundtrack for that airline TV show that used to play back in the day? I'm leaving on a jet plane. Yeah, well, that's you, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, that was uh, man, that was fun. I also sang the theme song for Ben Ten. Wow, I did didn't know, know that. that. No, I didn't. So, there's a Ben Ten. I'll send you that. There's a Ben Ten live action film, um, and you you know who wrote that song? Uh. Uh-uh. 
Andy Sturmer wrote that oh, song. Oh, so look at it. It all comes together. Jellyfish. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Uh, so it's the Ben 10 theme sung by Jimmy Koo. I think it was up as Johnny Koo once for a while. Uh-huh. But anybody wants to search that, it's um, it's 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 the it's the hard rock version. And and Andy knew my buddy John Fields, and Andy's like, hey, you know, do you think Jimmy should sing this? And John's like, absolutely. So they sent it over to me. I sang it. The first time I did it wrong, and he's like, I can't use this. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Give me one more chance. <laughs> and then I sang it. I sang it right. He's like, you have to sing it exactly how it goes. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So I sang it exactly how it goes. So I did the Ben 10 theme, which is one of I sang an Andy Sturmer song. Like, the, what, what, that's, that's one of the biggest accomplishments to me. That's top five of all time. Yeah, it's um, like it comes besides, full circle. Yeah, besides being on top of the pops and Saturday Night Live, and you know, opening for Guns and Roses in Japan. Besides that, it's like singing, singing an Andy Sturmer song is definitely that he's something he wrote is one of my biggest accomplishments of all time. Yeah. So when- there was the Ben Ted, and then it was the it was the beginning of reality television shows. It was really the beginning of them, and uh-huh, there yeah. was that it was a television show called Airline. And uh, it was a little bit of a cattle call. They sent that song out to a few different singers. And um, I just did my version in the garage and sent it back, and they liked it. And so I, I got – so that was neat, too. Well, that's a show I would watch, and it's it's on YouTube now, you know, the the, re- the repeats or whatever, or the, the archives of them. But I would watch that, so I would hear you doing that song for years and years and years, and I had no idea it was, it was you up until maybe just some years ago. I don't remember how I found that out, but I was like, holy shit, that's Jimmy. And that, and that was a show yeah. I watched every week, so kind of cool. Yeah, because I... Because I've got a I've got a pop voice that I love, and I've I've got a you know I've got a real strong you know rip your head off voice that I can use too, and uh, I love you know, the pop side. And again, I say Jellyfish ruined my heavy metal career. <laughs> yeah, but and you, you play with Dover, and yeah. you play with Dover. Yes, I mean we thought Dover. Jesus Christmas, did we think he was the coolest dude since fucking sliced bread. Dover was so cool when he joined that band. Have you heard the new band that they have called the Licorice Quartet? I have heard Licorice okay, Quartet. Okay, we spun know, a new one today. I have Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But, you know, I pay attention to Andy's other career, which is, you know, he writes all these songs for koreans and japanese and and he writes you know cartoons and yeah, yeah you know he did winnie the pooh he did winnie the pooh as a matter of fact i heard one of his and the lyrics are just unbelievable good it's like he's writing i'm so glad that andy sturm was writing children's songs or songs that kids hear because they're smart yeah they're thoughtful anyway i can, i could say i've eaten <laughs> i've eaten sushi with andy sturmer and oh sang one of his songs. Jimmy Koo, all the way oh from my uh, God. Ireland. Shoot me now. <laughs> Dude, we're going to work. Shoot me now. We're going to work on uh, my brother and I coming out there to see if we can. I, I want to be a part of this, uh, part of what you're doing out there and yeah. be there for the birthday. Maybe uh, maybe Ireland's in my future, too. I've got a, I've got a blank well, passport. It's got to so. be ch- Troy Patrick Farrell. Yes. It's got to be in your fucking future. It's in your past already. It's in <laughs> exactly. your blood, you motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. Jesus, exactly. get out of here. 
this year or next year or any year because you know I'll, I'll be doing it for life yeah i mean okay. this is this is for life so all right man hey listen thanks for listen, catching up Troy, it's been a long time so i the appreciate fact it that you put on a radio show is just insane like i don't i don't know where you find the gumption you know and the set of balls to even put this together and maintain bands and and, and still be slugging it out and rocking so hard so as they say here fair play to you thank you for having me on your show or you know and just thanks for talking to me thanks for sharing with me in the rock because we've known each other now for years yes. we've seen each other passing by for years yep and i look forward to you and i becoming even better friends 100 percent, and uh, that'll happen in uh in ireland very soon my brother sean's listening right now so we're probably he's probably on priceline looking right now to see if we can get some flights there so jimmy thanks so much for coming Good. on man and uh thanks, we'll stay Troy. in touch buddy all right you're a legend Thank uh, you. <laughs> thanks man there he goes jimmy Koo from uh, all the way from oh man oh man oh man ireland uh wanted to catch up with him and i've, I've known him for a long 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 time uh happening harry and the Sunday Jams at the Cat Club. Uh, speaking of Cat Club, uh, Slim Jim Phantom will be on next week. And uh, he's the drummer of the Stray Cats and uh, used to be one of the owners of the Cat Club. And, uh, well, hey, it looks like my brother Sean and I are going out to Ireland to play some Tin Lizzy. Uh, I mean, he'll probably play it correctly. I, I, I'm just kind of a meat and potatoes drummer, so I, I'm going to do my best to play the straightforward versions of uh, Brian Downey. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So, hey, we, we got into some Andrew WK land. We talked a little bit about the, the craziness. Uh, interesting that he thinks that there might be profiles out there that he trolls on on uh, social media. That's kind of interesting. That might be our story there, folks. We'll see if this gets picked up. Anyway, this, that, and the other radio show... Just like the morning sky That I saw in your eyes It's the color of the way I feel tonight Gray Like storm clouds on the space between us that remains, that remains, and I only feel the sweet relief every time I close my eyes, I lay my head, and when I sleep, I dream in black and white, cause I know everywhere, every single scene, you Hey, what's happening, Dirty Radio Classics? This is Troy Patrick Farrell, the host of This, That, and the Other radio show, which is live on Wednesdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And make sure you check out the Saturday replay, always at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right before the Bob Show's Rock Show. DirtyRadio.fm, Dirty Radio Classics. <laughs> 